0: Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. This. What you are about to listen to is perhaps one of the most important aspects of success there is. And that is, the world often will tell you what success means. It will tell you the boxes to check, what things to buy, what accolades to chase. But have you ever really considered what success means to you, for you? This story, this interview is the most beautiful expression of that concept I have ever heard, and so important, and so practical. I can't wait for you to hear it. Today's success story is India RE. India re is one of the most accomplished R&B artists of all time, who has sold 10 million records and toured the world. She has won four Grammys in her 20-plus year career and been nominated more than 23 times, most recently in 2020 for Best Traditional R&B Performance with Steady Love. She's not just a musician, but a universal music therapist for the soul, sharing her thought-provoking lyrics and mindful meditation through song. Known for her authenticity, awareness, and the conscious-raising experience she brings to the world, she has been named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of visionaries and influential leaders. Indira Ari, welcome to success. I'm so excited (laughs) to hear your story.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for for joining. And I have to say, um, we're we're recording this right now in June. It has been um, a wild, uh, challenging, uh, beautiful in some ways, a couple months. And uh, knowing that this interview is coming up, I've been listening to your music. And I have to tell you, I, and I want to get into your song writing process if we're able to do that. But it is it 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 instantly in this time of like chaos and tension and you can feel it in your body. I listen to it and feel so calm. Um mm-hmm. so I want to thank you personally for that. And I thought an interesting place to start would be with those numbers right there. So I know in the introduction, <laughs> I read that you were nominated 23 times, which is crazy, but there is, but it's 25, isn't it? Isn't there some discrepancy in those? I want to know the story behind the, the nominations.
1: <laughs> well, First of all, thank you for that intro. Thank you for what you said. Music for me is a spiritual practice and it's always my hope that it reaches the spirit of the listener. Yeah. I don't. I I, I want to be entertaining, of course, and I want people to like want to bop to it in their car. But my main goal from the beginning of becoming a songwriter at 20 years old, or I was probably 19 or 20, my main goal was always really to help people. And I think there's something now that I'm an adult <laughs> and I've been mm-hmm. in the industry for 20 years now, mm-hmm. I understand that there's something really powerful about being able to help a person calm their nervous system because we go through so much every day. Like you, before we started filming, you were talking about your children and all the stuff we go through. And as and women, we're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to do yes. a great job and look perfect without a hair out of place. And we drive, long, long drives to offices and our nerves are frazzled. And you know, so I, I, when I was young, I thought it was a really like naive ideal to be able to say to someone, I want to make music that heals. But when you think about the broad spectrum of what healing can be, it's actually not a hard thing to do. To make music that heals, you know, it's, I think it starts with an intention. So if you tell me that I've helped you to be calmer or to calm your nervous system in any way, you're welcome and thank you for thanking me for that because it's. I don't know that any of it is real unless a listener tells me, and so thank you for saying that and thank you for that intro. And then about the twenty five Grammys, I mean, I think it's twenty five because there were two other ones. I don't remember the details now. I have. We could talk about my relationship with the Grammys too if you want to get into that. But yeah, (laughs) I, um, there was one that I know was John Mellencamp. I did a duet with him. We did a song called Peaceful World. And that album, the album was nominated for a Grammy. So if he won, I would have gotten one, I think. But somehow they didn't count that one as the nomination for me. But I was the duet partner. We did a music video and everything. So I don't know why. And there was another one I don't remember now. But I've, you know, over the years, I've learned to put the Grammys in their proper place. But we like to win them because um, they help your, bi- your brand be bigger. You right. know, so anytime somebody says my name, they say Grammy Award winning NDRE, That is worth dollars. Yeah. And so yeah. we want to win and we want to be nominated and stuff. But also my real, for me, there's a difference between awards and rewards. Mm-hmm. And my real rewards are when people say your music was at my wedding or my mother lost all her hair and that music was there. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, those things that I get to hear every day mm-hmm. are much more valuable than the Grammys, way more valuable, but it took 20 years to get here. And so in the beginning, I wanted to win those Grammys and the accolades and stuff, because that's what you think you're going for. But I got way more than I ever thought I would ever get just by being able to become, make music that's a part of people's lives, and then that they become a part of my life. Yeah. So. 25 or something like that, Yeah, <laughs> but way more rewards than awards.
0: Well, and I think that this is, I want to talk more about this because I think it is, it's so important, right? The, the magazine at this podcast is about success. And, and I think that so often we, it's easy to measure success by things like, awards um, and and nominations, but then actually winning the awards. So can you tell me, and I know, you know, over the expanse of 20 years, this is a, a thing that, you know, you know how to manage that. Like you said, you put the, you put the Grammys in their place, but when you were right at the beginning, when you were at the beginning of your career and you knew how important these awards are, that recognition is, can you tell, how did that feel at the, at the beginning, whether you were nominated and didn't win, or like, can you tell us, so for those people that are trying to find the way that they measure success, and maybe missing some of those awards, um, to help them with that thought process?
1: I think this is a smart question, because there's something, wisdom, Wisdom is something that you gain just by living. And so in the beginning, um, I had no reason to understand that I needed to define success for myself. I just was thinking success is whatever anybody says it is. And you know what the Grammys, or things like the Grammys, the, um, what's the word, the prestige Mm -hmm. of those things are things kind of that the institution itself puts on itself. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you believe the prestige they say they have, then of course, it has prestige to you. Right. And um, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's a place that you start at. Mm -hmm. And so what I, so the first year I went to the Grammys, I had sold under a million albums, which now that's a lot. (laughs) But back then in 2001, under a million was not a lot. That wasn't good. And because album sales change with downloads and stuff.
0: Right, right.
1: And so Um, I had sold under a million albums, but I was nominated for seven, which was huge because people were like, well, who is it? Who is she? And how does she get more nominations than these other artists who sold 10 million and you know, stuff. And also that year, that was the year Aaliyah died in a plane crash. And so everyone was talking about Aaliyah and there was another artist who was really big had sold like millions of albums and she got a lot of nominations and it made sense. But then there was me and people were like, Mm -hmm. why is she a part of this big story? It was like... Like I all of a sudden blew up overnight. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't overnight, but that's how it was for them. And, um, but it was overnight in a certain way too, because I had only been four years before I was at the Grammys at night, four years before that I was in college sitting under a tree playing guitar. So it was kind of, it was overnight, but you don't feel like it's overnight when you're only 25.
2: Right.
1: So wisdom again. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I didn't win any that night. And I became an even bigger story because of that. And so there was a conversation about why and why didn't she win. And there was a conversation about what role race played in that and what role the politics of the music industry played in that. And then I became like a sort of like a beloved people's champion. Mm. So it was like, we love your music and we love you. But since you didn't win that, we love you more. And we want all this for you. You know, so it got a big, big story. Yeah. And the next year I went back and I was nominated for four. And I won two, but it wasn't televised. So then it was like, nobody knew I won. And then I was like, um, also, uh, I felt slighted, not just yeah. for me, but also because this is supposed to be the music industry's biggest night. And none of the black artists or black music categories were aired on the TV show. None, none of it, none. And so they had all of it in the pre-show. And I speculate, even now I still think it's true, that the war had just started. I can't remember what that war was called. The one that started in 2002, oh, 2003. Yeah, yeah. That one. That one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I want to say yeah, Desert Storm, which, but that's
1: the one from when I was No, younger. that was
0: in the 90s. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. The Wait, other one.
0: I don't know that they, I don't think that there was a name for that. Name was for it it
1: the, I remember he was saying It was after 9-11. Yeah, it was after 9-11. Yeah. And um, so I felt like they wanted to keep the show really subdued and clean. And in my opinion, that's why they took some of the more like controversial, outspoken artists off of the show. That's my perspective. Mm -hmm. Because how do you have a music industry's biggest night and a music industry's biggest music? Because it was country music and Black music always was the biggest music. So they had no Black acts. The only Black act that walked across that stage in performance that night was... The Roots playing behind Eminem, which Eminem chose them and it made we were all like, okay, good move, Yeah. but none, none of it. And so when I won, I got up there and I said that, but it wasn't televised. And so nobody really knew I won and they didn't know that I made that statement and it was kind of like just being squashed. And after that, that's when I realized that I needed to find success for myself mm. because I was not unsuccessful, <laughs> even, right? in, even in those terms, but it didn't feel right. Yeah. And so i created a mission statement at that time. This is a 2003 and I, it's still my mission statement today. Um, it might be shifting just as I'm going into a new phase of my life, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, But my mission statement has always been since 2003 to spread love, healing, peace and joy through the power of words and music. And so I would put, I would compare anything, decision I had to make or mm-hmm. a opportunity to do duet with someone or my clothes, my image. I would put all that up against my mission statement, just like how businesses have a mission statement. I have my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, I went, so maybe like 10 years of that and I had a personal breakdown and was just like tired of everything, tired of the industry, tired of the politics, tired of being uh, being people's uh, puppet. And mm-hmm. so in 2009, I quit everything. And I thought I was gonna retire and go back to school. And I did retire, but what I learned about myself was that it wasn't that I didn't wanna make music. I've been wanting to make music my whole, whole, whole entire life. What I w- didn't, what I wanted to do was be able to be myself
2: mm.
1: and to be free. Cause I tried everything else. I tried to listen to them and do what they said and be harmonious at all costs. And I tried everything. And I, I got somewhere, but I also, I didn't feel good. And so that's when feeling good became a part of my personal definition of success. Okay. And so then my own, my own personal mission statement became clarity of my intention, working towards that intention with joy because mm-hmm. you don't always reach your intention, but knowing what you want to do is important. Right. And be, doing it with joy is important because it doesn't matter how big you are. If you don't feel good and you're killing your health every day, then yeah. is that success? No. no. And so I um, came back into the music industry in 2013. And I've been back since. And to from tw- 2001 to today, 2020, I've released eight projects. And it gets, it's almost like I work harder every year. But the hard work is worth it when I lay down at night and know that I was working hard for what I want. Right. And not for what somebody else told me I was supposed to have or do or any of that. And and I have to say that at this current, current moment in history, just where things are right right now, mm-hmm. I always wanted to make music that um, uplifted people, that was consciousness-raising, that was um, elevating in word about all kinds of every race, every gender, all kinds of ways that people show up in the world. I always wanted to elevate everyone in my music, and it was intentional. Yeah. And the one criticism I would get often is that my music was too positive or that I, like Pollyanna or didn't have any bite or that I looked at the world through rose colored glasses, like that was the thing. But I kept making that kind of music because what I know is that it's, it's bold and it's strong to say we accept everyone right. in a world where, the, where we, you know, our society is like, skinny is better than fat and white is better than black and straight is better than gay. Like we compartmentalize people that way. And so to make music that was like, no, we're all the same, we, we all should be loved the same, can we, you know, the things I would sing about in my music and still do. I knew that it was a bold statement and however anybody else took it, I when I pray for my songs, that's what I'm gonna sing. I don't sing it for somebody who's in their basement who's gonna say later, it doesn't have bite. I don't know what you want. If it's not for you, it's not for you.
2: Yeah, and that's so not now, your song
1: then. it's not your music and it's fine. <laughs> so why are you talking about me? You know, what I, mean? just, I would just be like, well, don't listen. <laughs> But now where we are today, I'm very, very proud that I have a body of work that I unwaveringly was all about the oneness and the upliftment of humanity and of all people, unwaveringly. And if I didn't make another album, which I'm not sure I will, mm. I, I don't know. I, there are times in my life and I was like, the next album, let's go. I'll yeah. it, there's gonna be the next one. I'm not sure right now. Mm. Um, But if I don't ever make another one, I did what I set out to do and I have been a success by my standards, and that's important to be able to say because the music industry is, can be, um, what's the word? H- harmful to a person's sense of self. Mm. That's why we see so many people you know, deteriorate because yeah. they're trying to hold on to this image or this train that's dragging them behind. And I've had moments, like I told you, 2009, where I just was completely broke down, going through uh, repeated bouts of depression, all this stuff. But it wasn't like something was wrong with my brain. It was like, I'm living in this world that sucks. These people suck. They're awful. They're being awful. I'm a young person. They're talking to me crazy and talking about women crazy and talking about Black people crazy. It was crazy. So, of course, I felt depressed. Right. But what I haven't always been able to do is heal myself and get back to a place where I still want to make music, and so I'm proud of who I am today, and and very grateful for the wisdom I've gained by just continuing to go through the, the process of life and look at the <laughs> lens that I was given. You know, I, was, I got in the music industry at 22, so I was like thrown into the fire, you know, yeah. with because music music industry is racist and sexist and. Undeniably so. I'm not even talking conspiracy under, like, it's undeniably racist, sexist, <laughs> and ageist, and you know, all the stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. I just got thrown into this world. I was naive, did not know what life was about at all, and just got thrown into it. And I made it. And I've been yeah. a success on music industry terms and on my own terms, too. And so I think that the personal success matters more, of course, because I could be sitting here today. In ill health, truly, because mm-hmm. I started going that way. Like I had ulcers and depression, bouts really? of depression, bad ulcers where I couldn't even drink water. Like my stomach always hurt. But leading up to 2009, and that's when I was like, I have to change this. Yeah. You know? And so I'm a healthy person today and I'm empowered and I'm free and I'm still making music. And so I don't know that a lot of people can say that.
0: Well, so. and I, I was watching it. It's just so I could just listen to you, even talk all day. You should do a, <laughs> a, a poetry. Well, it is like your music is poetry. Uh, it really is. But I was, um, I was watching the short film that's on your website. Now, they can get to your website uh, through soulbird.com. Is that right? That's another mm-hmm. way to find our India RV. And it was yeah. the short fo- film um, Welcome. The Home. best
1: place to see it, though, is on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. On your the YouTube short channel? Film. Yes.
0: It was. And I, I think what you're saying right here is exactly what I... And, and that is... Everything that you're saying, you can feel it. You can see it in that. I watched that short film. Um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it on YouTube. It's called Welcome Home. It's a combination of the song Crazy and then Sacred Space, right? And I was mesmerized and i felt like i was watching a person be truly themselves and 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 it made me want to be truly myself and i think that is that's the greatest gift that we can give when it comes to success is is to be ourselves and that was actually something i wanted to ask you about because you said um in this conversation that you knew ever since you were very, very young, that, that music is what you wanted to do. Is that So can you tell us, do you remember one of the first times that you, and even, because I know you grew up with music in your life and music in your family, um, do you remember the first song that you wrote? Like, when did that start?
1: I didn't start writing music until I was older. I was, I, I think, I, I mean, no, I haven't thought about this in so long. I didn't start writing music until I graduated from high school because I was always great at English. It was one of the only classes I was good at. Um, like My English teacher would call my mother every year because I was really good. Yeah. good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel and, uh
1: good. But my other teachers did not.
2: And mm-hmm. I
1: was in trouble a lot for falling asleep in class and being moody and all kinds of stuff because it just wasn't a lot of the left brain classes I did not even get. I didn't get it. So I'd mm. to be sitting there like, do I have to be here? And uh, so I was good at English. I was good at music. But music is like an ancestral thing for me. Mm. And so when I got out of high school, I just put those two things together and started writing my own songs. But I had things I wanted to say. And, um, but the first original song that I knew <laughs> was a song that my mother wrote for me to learn the days of the week in, in Greek. How do you say that? I haven't said these words in so like long. Pre-school? Pre-K.
0: Pre-K, yeah.
1: Um, That's like Pre-kindergarten, yeah. yeah. I have a niece now who's five, so I'm like remembering You're all rich. these things. Pre-K.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> all homeschool anyway. It's all homeschool, so it doesn't matter. Pre-K, she's at home
1: too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a drive through graduation for pre-K. It was so cute. Um, <laughs> and so my mother wrote me this song called India Song to learn the days of the week. And so that was... You know, but like I said, music for me is an ancestral thing, so uh, most of my mother's side of the family sang and wrote songs, and there were preachers and evangelists. You know, Mm -hmm. like in the south, evangelist, preacher, it's synonymous with singer, so it was just what we did and who we were. And so, but I didn't start writing songs until I was about 19, and I think that had a lot to do with not fully feeling like I could say the things I wanted to say. Yeah. I wasn't like an outspoken teenager or an outspoken person at all. I didn't sing in church. I didn't sing in front of people. I sang in church twice my whole life. I was like shy and you know, all that. So when I graduated high school, you know those uh, turning points in life, you change. Yeah. And so I started to just open up and I sang for the first time at this poetry reading and you know, started writing my own songs.
0: Wait, wait! I wanna, I wanna hear about this poetry reading because all of a sudden I'm picturing. I know that there are people that were in that room that now are like, oh my gosh, I saw (laughs) India Ari. So where, where was this? When did, when did this happen? What did? I think that might be true.
1: I grew up in Atlanta. I was born and raised in Denver. Moved to Atlanta when I was 13. And I went back and forth for high school to Denver. So I lived both places. And then when I graduated from high school in Denver, I came back home to Atlanta, where my my home is always where my mother is. My father was in Denver, my mom was in Atlanta. So I came back home to Atlanta and I took a year off before I went to college. And my best friend, who I just met, he ended up being my best friend. I met him walking downtown at a mall in Atlanta. He just walked up to me and said, what's your name? We just became best friends. And he's a professional singer now too. His name is Anthony David. We have a song together called Words. I think he's probably on his maybe 10th album now or something because he did more, he works faster than I do. Um, anyway, uh, he took me to a poetry reading because he was kind of more tuned into the social life. He's a little bit older than me, he's more tuned into the social, the young social scene in Atlanta. So he took me to this poetry reading and I, you know, liked it. And he would go every Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day it was, you'd go once a week. Yeah, And so one day, he was just like, uh, I had a little micro recorder and I was singing to it because I was just starting to think about writing songs and he snatched it out of my hand one day and held it away from me so I couldn't get it back and he listened to it. And he was like, what? I cannot believe you can sing like this. This is what? The way you can control your voice, your control. And he was laughing at Oh
2: my God.
1: And so I let him, of course. I stopped fighting to get the recorder back.
2: Yeah, you know, let him
1: listen. Oh my, let him, like, oh you're my, so uh, okay You
2: go back. Right. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: So when right. we went to the yeah. so, um, we poetry reading the next week, he was like, you should sing. And so I did. And um, I got a, a big reaction. I mean, people did clap and everything too, but there was also like musicians there and there was a guy sitting at the bar who was like telling me he had a band and would I please record with them? And he wrote his number down and he was talking about my voice and my vocal tone. And, you know, because in my family, everybody sang. So it wasn't like, I'm like, right. it like talking. Like you learn how to speak from your family. You learn your mannerism from your mom. Like, so it wasn't like the thing to me. And I didn't understand that I was better at it than other people mm-hmm. in, until that day, really. And so grew from there. And then we had a, we created our own social scene where we built our own record label and artist collective. The label was called Earth Seed. The artist, I mean, the label was called Groovement. The artist collective was called Earthseed. It might be vice versa. Um, so we had Groovement and Earthseed. And in that, we had our own regular night at a club in Atlanta. And so those a lot of those people are people who I think would say, no, I saw her. I saw her when she was coming up. I remember when she had three songs. I remember how she used to talk to the audience. Like, those people saw me develop.
2: Yeah. And I
1: was signed um, to a major label, like, right out of that whole scene. Several of us were, um, were actually signed out of that scene and then you know life. we all took different directions yeah but we all are still connected in our history so it'll be like you know that bassa band called kari gabral they, they grew up with India re or anthony david and India re we all still have that yeah There's a whole audience of you know probably tens of thousands of people who would say i saw i remember that then i was there at the club." you know and what a beautiful and I see, story i see people all the time yeah, I, I remember you back in the 90s. I was there all the time. Uh,
0: now, did you know that first night at the poetry reading, you sang that song, and then people came up to you afterwards. Did you know that there was something? Did you know in that? When did you know that this was something you were really going to pursue? Was that was that night where you
1: like, wait, this could be a real thing? No, no. It was maybe, I don't remember now, maybe a year or two later or something like that. Yeah. I started playing, so I went away to college, to Savannah College of Art and Design, um, mostly because my mother told me, like, that I had to go to college, and I was burnt out on music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I didn't write songs, but I played in the band, and I was in the chorus, always, since elementary school, both of them. I was, you know, like, the recorder. Yes. I didn't play recorder. I was in recorder ensembles. So we played, like, Baroque pieces for children, and like, I was always, everything was music for me. And so,
2: yeah.
1: um, when I got to college and I had started writing songs, then I wanted to play guitar because I was obsessed with James Taylor and Bill Whitton.
2: Mm. And
1: so guitar is a way you can, in my mind, that's how you write songs,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you play guitar and you write them and you become a singer songwriter. That's what I understood the aesthetic I knew. interesting. And so in college, um, my first paycheck from the bookstore, I bought a guitar that apparently was like not a good one. So somebody said, I have a good one. You know, take this. And so They gave me a little guitar they had in the corner. And oh, sorry about that. My phone rang. They gave me the little guitar they had in the corner. And um, I was like obsessed with writing songs. So I don't know how long this span is. but I know I went to school maybe a year after the poetry reading. And then maybe, let's say maybe a year later, I was playing guitar. And I had three songs. And I sang one of them at a coffee shop in Savannah. And I closed my eyes and I was singing it. And then when I opened my eyes, like people had come in from outside and there was like all these people in And they were like clapping and I was like, it was like, it was like dramatic. And I was like, like they like this. It was wild. And then they sing another one, but I only had three songs, so I sang all three. <laughs> and then I, one weekend I went home to Atlanta from school and I played at a poetry reading. And everybody jumped to their feet and stomped when I sang my first song, just They were like stomping and screaming. And those people who were there, my best friend was there that day, of course, because we were always yeah. like, that was my road dog. But then yeah. there were other people in the room that day, and that, those are the people that ended up being my artist collective and record label thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are still in my life today. One main person, her name is Anassa Troutman. She's been helping me with my career since 1996 when we grew uh, up together we're friends you know she does other things now but if I call her like she helped me with welcome home with the final credits and the edits and she's just there to help me always yeah and so that time when singing at the coffee shop in, in Savannah was like whoa but when I sang in Atlanta and everybody jumped up I went home that day and I was like mom you are not gonna believe what happened tonight she's like what you know, just like, whoa, whoa, listen to me tell every single word and go, whoa, and wow, and you know, I was, I was talking. And, she, and then so my mother, later, you know, I don't remember, it was, it was so long ago, but not long after that, I was walking past the kitchen, and she said, let me ask you a question, because we weren't talking, we weren't in the same room, I was walking past the kitchen, and she stopped me, and she said, do you want to sing in the kitchen and at church, like me and your aunt, so do you want to really take a chance to be a singer? And I was like, I want to take a chance. And she said, take it seriously. And so I started taking it seriously. Yeah, because my mother was also a singer. I ended up being on Motown for 17 years. My mother was born and raised in Lansing, Michigan. So she was of age with Motown was new. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to sign her. But she had her own band and they didn't want to sign her band. My mother was only 15 and she had her own band. And they wanted to sign her, but not her brother. Like her, they weren't her blood brothers, but they were like her brothers.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so she um, said no. And she told me, if I knew what I know now, I would have said yes, and I would have gone back and got them later. Mm-hmm. And so when Motown wanted to sign me, I didn't want to leave my artist collective. And my mother told me that story that day, and and I was like, okay. And I then I signed, and I'm even as no need to mince words, even as ugly as being the music industry has been. I still know that it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. because you can't reach the world unless you have that big platform. And also mm-hmm. I was able to change the, traje- the trajectory of my family's financial life. Right. And so um, now I'm, I, I, my brother's a little bit older than me, but I started making my own money first, but now my brother is like a very wealthy businessman. He has a <laughs> working on his doctorate now, you know, like, but, but 20 years ago, yeah. I was able to change the trajectory of my family's financial life, so I feel like I did the right thing. It's just you know, life life brings you hard lessons, and you're going to get them wherever you are. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I stopped blaming the music industry for that and realized it's life. And I've been able to do my music so
0: well, and to and to touch so many people with it. So I want yeah. now. I want to know. Um, oh, there's so much I want to know, uh, <laughs> but I you mentioned it at the beginning of the conversation you kind of hinted at it and i had seen an interview with you from earlier this year but i mean earlier 2020 might as well have been like
2: 19. 10 years ago.
0: i know who knows that's a, I'm, yeah. and we're all different people but yeah. um whether or not you're going to do another album or uh and this interview was just so beautiful. I just, I knew that I was so going to enjoy this conversation because of how in tuned you are. And, and you said something like you, you are feeling a shift in you. Um, something about the things that are just given. And maybe it sounds like there's a, a shift, to something new or expand. I don't know if that's something that you're, uh, that you can or are willing to talk about. But I think that this, I, I got that feeling that there's like a, n- a new definition of success perhaps on the horizon for you that we might be catching now just at the very beginning. <laughs> so I would love to, if that's if I was right in that assumption, and I know that's an assumption, hear about <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> on a personal level, the conversation about what I wanna do next with my life started for me in October. And I really, it started as dissatisfaction, like, okay, this year was creatively successful on the business level. It wasn't as successful. I was really tired. And because the 2019 surprised me and I had a number one song and a number three song. I had never, never, never <laughs> was thinking that was going to happen at all. And I so had that headline. Really yeah, it was crazy.
0: said so she needed 18 years and 15 attempts, but India already <laughs> claims her first career number one on the billboards. I was like, that has to
1: be. That. It wasn't my first number one record. It was my first number one record at a music format called Urban AC. Okay. And so, okay. which is big because I make Urban AC music, so to have my first number one there was like, I had some other number ones here and there. Yeah. Um. So all that was cool, but I just didn't like the way it felt. Yeah. And part of my definition of success is feeling good. Not perfect. Not every day is going to be perfect. Not that. Mm-hmm. But if it makes me feel bad, then I'm not really aligned with success for me. And so there was a lot about 2019 that I just really didn't like. And so I started, you know, just questioning what's next? Like, What do I really want to do to continue to not be stagnant so that I can have a career that I enjoy. Cause the interesting thing about being in the music industry or being famous at all is people are like, what do you have to complain about? Right. Anybody would want that. You know, they don't take your humanity into account, but it's, it's something you have to live through to really understand. Mm-hmm. You know, wisdom are things you have to live through to understand. And so October, November, December, I'm really questioning. And one of my favorite things to do is to go, to travel, to be in nature. And so the Pacific Northwest is one of my favorite parts of the world. It's one of my favorite parts of the country, but it's one of my favorite parts of the world. I love the Pacific Northwest. I just got hit to Malibu all the time I spent in LA. I would always think, let's get our work done and get out of here, because LA is like not my favorite town. Yeah. But Malibu feels like an island. But I didn't know anything about Malibu. So I got tipped to that because I ended my tour. and I was so tired. I didn't want to get on the plane. Mm. And my travel agent said, there's a nice hotel in Malibu. You should go check it out. And that's how I went to Malibu the first time, which was just in uh, September of 2019. Wow. And so I went to Malibu and sat at the beach and looked out, looked out, watched the sunrise and sunset and just gave myself time to contemplate my life, my past and, and my future. And, I mean, I'm still in the process of that, but what I'm under, I understand a lot more about what I want, I understand a lot more about why I'm at the turning point. Mm-hmm. And what I know is, what I, what I have experienced is that certain spiritual shifts happen at certain ages. And so, or even at certain life experiences. So like, you know, you're different before you become a mother than you are after you become one. I don't have children, but I know this.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, you know, you're different after you can say, it's been 20 years that I've been in this career, like 20, (laughs) we're all living in 2020. And (sighs) when you think of those round numbers and those moments, it gives you pause. Mm -hmm. And also I just, I'm 44. So I'm just reaching like that age where... I have no, uh, I don't give anyone power to define anything about me anymore. There may yeah. be some subconscious things, you know, we all live in a society that we live in, but like on that real everyday mundane level, I do what I want. Mm-hmm. I travel when I want, I work when I want, I get up when I want, I go to bed when I want. My career, I'm the highest power in my business. I tour when I want, I go home, I, I hire, I fire, but it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. And so when I think of my life that way, I started asking if music is the best way that I can serve humanity at this point. Because you heard my mission
2: statement and my beliefs about what music can be. Um,
1: and I think that there are uh, other... I don't know how to say this because I'm still working through it, Yeah, yeah. but I think there are other parts of myself that Mm -hmm. can be better used to help humanity. Mm -hmm. Like I'm ready to publish and teach. Yes. And I'm ready to work behind the scenes, like with clothes, makeup, helping people develop their image. My mother makes all my stage clothes. I know a lot about styling and body types and makeup colors and how to yeah. capture the right angles on film and all that stuff. I know so much yeah. about it now. Yeah, I would love to be able to help people with that. I also would love to have some sort of a hands-on healing practice because my spiritual life has always been a big part of my life, mm. but it's always been to heal myself or people close to me. I don't. I never thought, you know, there's a young artist out here who keeps losing her voice. Maybe I could talk to her about the <sighs> spiritual reason you lose your voice and the physical way you keep your voice. I've learned so much about all these things. So I l- love the idea of taking all my wisdom
2: mm-hmm.
1: and using that instead of thinking yes. I'm supposed to be like the engevue in front. I still want to perform, but putting all my energy into that doesn't feel aligned with my truth anymore. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm still in this transitional moment, but I'm in a transitional moment and there's no going back. And especially now after everything that's happening in 2020 politically and also spiritually with this whole coronavirus thing, <sighs> um, it's given me so much time to contemplate so I, I really, I truly do live like a contemplative life. Mm-hmm. I have a really quiet personal life. And then I have my public life. Mm-hmm. And most of my life is spent in my personal life. And so I had a lot of time to really contemplate Yeah. what I want to do next, how I want to approach things, what I want to let go of. That's especially, that's where I'm very clear. Like there's things I just don't want to do. Right, and, right. And I don't have to. But I have to remind myself of that because I spent so long having people control me because you, when you don't let the industry control you, you're difficult. And when you're difficult, they don't give you the marketing dollars or the attention right. and stuff. And so, But now I'm always like, no, 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 no I decide. I don't want to yeah. do that anymore. So I actually retired from touring. I do spot dates only now, no more 40 days of touring. That's just, I'm not doing it anymore. And so saying that I retired is big. Because people are like, "What? You, how you can't retire from touring? Touring is what you do. No, touring is what you think I do. I define me, and so I'm continuing to define me and figure out. So I don't know if I have a scoop for you, but
2: no, I I'm, I, I'm
1: figuring it out.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, I a scoop. That's such a <laughs> yeah. A that scoop. was a scoop. <laughs> I know. Give me the scoop. No, but I can feel this, and I I think that this is, and we can, you know. I think this is a perfect place to close in that it feels like it feels like a beginning.
1: Yeah. A new beginning, which is what makes is making it so hard. Yeah. Because I've literally done the same thing my whole life. I've always made music. Since you were a child. Always. always. Becoming professional was a surprise. I'm still surprised by this whole professional part, but I still am doing what I've always done. So now I'm like during the quarantine, I've like been reading a lot and watching movies and yeah. stuff. Forget me for interrupting, but I have to tell you this. No, I want to hear it. <laughs> reading a lot and watching movies. And I came across this documentary called Sunseed, which is like a documentary about the counterculture movement in the 60s. So the hippies.
2: Okay.
1: And um, it doesn't point either way. It's not like this is right. It just documents all the different teachers and how the kids looked and, you know, how they lined up behind different teachers and all the travels to India and stuff. And that's one number one, I learned that um, my name came from the counterculture movement because I was born in 75. And my father had um, two, uh, what's the word, Uh, identical twin friends. And they were a part of the counterculture movement. And they came to him and said, you should name her India but I didn't understand the history and the timing of when I was born and when that conversation happened yeah. so I watched this documentary. So I'm like, no wonder I see things a certain way, like the, the, the big love and the singer-songwriter aesthetic and all this stuff, I was like born into it. Yeah. Um, but there was one of the teachers, his name was Sufi Sam. <laughs> and I never heard of him. His I know. <laughs> and the guy interviewing him said, because you know the counterculture movement was all about them trying to get people to change their concepts of life. And so the guy was like, well, how do we get them to change their concepts? How do we get people to have new concepts? He asked this question. And Sufi Sam said, that's, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, that's the problem. And he said, we don't solve our problems because the solutions live outside of our concepts of ourselves. We don't solve problems because the solutions live outside of our concepts of ourselves. Right. And I thought about it, like how you're thinking about it. I thought about it so much. I watched this in February and I think about it every day. So I've been asking myself, what ways do I see myself that needs to change so that I can find my path to this whole new way of being? Because music is all I've ever done. Not -hmm. from saying I don't, again, I'm not saying I don't want to do it at all. Yeah, yeah. But I want to do these other things that live just outside of the concept of who I've known myself to be. And so I've been contemplating going to business school, but as a 12-year-old who was horrible at math, I'm like, can I do that? Of course I I can do it. (laughs) I'm not saying I need to or not, but it might be a nice way to just open my mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? So relearning who I am is what this whole 2020 has been about for me. And releasing the concepts of myself, which is also interesting when you live in a world that has a concept of you. Because people really think they know what India RE is, what I'm supposed to do. Because it's a thing, it's his own thing, yeah, and but I'm having a tough time and a good time relearning who I am
0: mm. uh, i have I have so enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> um,
1: I did most of the talking I didn't know which is talking. why I love it like I, I could
0: talking. just know that's good that's exactly that's exactly what it's supposed to be, India. Thank you so much for being too. here with us. We're so excited to see your future success thank
1: you thank you i have one thing i want to tell you what um i have a podcast (gasps) you do
0: tell us where we can
1: hear your podcast it's all the regular platforms apple google play um i do mine on anchor so you can see it on anchor and that's where you can leave me comments and messages and stuff and i do it completely independent but after being under contract with a multinational corporation my whole adult life when i decided to do my podcast i just do it by myself. I do nice. my own engineering because I engineer my own vocals in the studio anyway so I just do it all and it's called Song Versation the Podcast and the conversations aren't very much like the one we just had. I start with the song and I just expand and just talk and share my so, ideas about things.
0: So we need to make sure to we'll check out all of um, all of your music. We you have like the that. podcast uh, yes. song conversations and then also um, on YouTube, on your website.
1: Yes, my short film, which
0: also I edited. It was so good. So beautiful.
1: When you said you feel like you're looking at a person being themselves, it was important because somebody else edited it and I was like, this is all wrong. And so I took over and did the edit. I've never edited anything in my life. Now I want to do another video. I'm like, who wants me to edit their video? (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at the angles of my face and... How it to was blend things. Beautiful. And, it was so, so it beautiful. It needed to be me because I don't know if I'm going to make any other videos, so I needed to make sure that it captured me. And my best friend, Anasa, who I mentioned, who I've been with yeah. since the mid 90s, yes. she said, These scenes look like India in her prayer room. How you're sitting, how your hair is. It, dead. Start, like, it was this beautiful. This is the India I know. And I felt like, okay, I did it. Oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> If you
0: enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at kindrahall.com or on Instagram at Kendra Hall. That is kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time.